podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Uh, We have Andy on this one and Kevin. Hello. And uh, me. Uh, I'm uh, well, Brian. Blessed. Hello. <laughs> 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 who's, yeah. who's me? He's got just such, such, such more of a, a broadcast voice than that he other has, one. I've forgotten his name. The other one. He enunciates properly. It's an emergency it? loan uh, that I've been well. parachuted in. Thank you very much. Parachuted in on some form of embroidery. Yes. Uh, uh, yes. Vector printing. <laughs> oh yes. Ooh. <laughs> yes, madam. <laughs> yeah. uh, this podcast is brought to you by Vector Printing for all your print and embroidery needs. Go to vector.co.uk and that's vector with a K and then there's also JCIS the global research and brand consultancy from South London visit jc-is.com there we go there we go and Rob's hit on a a, a clever device for getting it right which JD needs to he actually read it well yes rather than trying to remember it in a half-assed way that JD (laughs) tries to do every week I've written it on a piece of card and Kevin's holding each one up as I go along we're in a hand it's just very broadcast ready Um, JD also he's not here obviously uh, oh no you can tell but uh, he wanted us to mention that um, Vector actually going to be producing two exclusive T-shirts. Just two? Well, yeah. Uh, I think that's probably how many. Or two sell. types. Um, they'll be on sale as of next week. One oh. of them is a uh, FYP T-shirt with the FYP logo. Nice. And apparently it's really nice. Um, and the other one... I think one, they'll only need the print runner too for that yeah. one, to be fair. The other one is uh, a vector printing. Uh, vector printing one with vector with a K. And oh, apparently that's ah, nice. And that's amazing as well. Uh, I've not seen either, but um, so I've, basically I've we're been paying, assured they're good. We're paying them to advertise their product. Well, no, but the, nice. the joke's on them because they're going to have to sell them all at the same price and we're going to order one for Endicott and then all of their textile uh, ordering is going to be absolutely yeah, screwed. fair point. So, unlucky fair Vector. Point. They should do uh, an, an I Saw Palace Score t-shirt. They should, because it's yeah. been a while. That yeah. would be nice, yeah. Um, on they, that they, s- they sound lovely t-shirts. I will certainly, the Vector with a K one, I think we should all... We so, should all buy. on that subject, we'll probably go right into what happened... Uh, at the weekend do we have to I mean I'd rather oh. just talk about David Bowie again like we did last oh, week was quite moving wasn't it it was yeah um, look the thing is well, depending on the Watford score tonight we will probably still be 8th in the Premier League and we'll be above Chelsea and Everton and Liverpool so I think some of the hysteria over the weekend on social media is probably a little bit unnecessary but and also it, unexpected because usually you expect people on social media to be very to, level-headed. To be, to be level-headed and sensible about these Reasoned. things. But, but yeah. even, yeah, we can, we can say we're eighth in the Premier League till we're blue in the face. There, there, there are problems all over the pitch. There's, we've got a problem with the goalkeeper, so much so that the manager publicly criticised him. The back four have suddenly started leaking goals. The midfield aren't doing enough at either end of the pitch and we can't score. So there is... There are problems. There's but other no than that, about, yeah, but, but there's no point denying it. I'm, I'm downgrading. We're definitely staying up to. We almost certainly probably will stay up. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's no point. There's, yeah, there are some Palace fans that are too positive, and, and we can't just keep saying we're eighth in the Premier League, so it's all fine because at the moment it, it clearly isn't. And I'm hoping I can't. I haven't got any real optimism about Tottenham, but I'm hoping that maybe. There's a sort of synchronicity that when we play Bournemouth again, as it's sort of the bad run sort of started against Bournemouth, so maybe we can finish it against. So I mean, Bournemouth. looking at each area of the pitch, we you, you kind of covered it in in its basic terms. 
let's look at Wayne Hennessy. Is that is that a, a situation that that Pardew will need to resolve by changing goalkeepers, or is it is it one of those kind of moments? Is it one of those decisive moments where? He, this, he, he sticks with the goalkeeper that he has and tries to show a little... Well, the thing, problem is, at the moment, none of those three are top 10 goalkeepers in, in the Premier League. And we've got aspirations to probably finish in the top 10 this season, which means that you either have the option of chopping and changing every time one of them makes an error, and they have all made errors. Jules made errors last season. Uh, McCarthy came in at the start of this season and did make some errors. Wayne Hennessy has now not only made errors that haven't led to goals, but has now made errors that are leading to goals as well. You know, all three of them... I don't think are quite at that level. So you, you've then got the option to just wait until each of them makes that fatal error that, that leads to a goal and then dropping them and absolutely destroying their confidence. Or you just stick out with one of them to the end of the season until you're able to find an alternative that is genuinely good enough for the top half of the Premier League. I mean, there's been talk of uh, Robert Green. I'm not convinced that Robert Green is much of an upgrade, albeit that I think he is a little bit of an upgrade on those three. He's just but, been linked with Liverpool as well. So yeah, I wonder if that's just his agent trying to do his... It, it, it may well be. Money. It may well be. But I mean... Again, there was this this thing that people were either absolutely leaping on on Hennessy to have a go at him about the first goal, which was admittedly a bad error again, or uh, you know decrying the fact that anyone would say he had any responsibility for it at all. Palace played badly. It was a bit like the Chelsea game in some respects. They were in the game for the first half an hour or so, looked okay, but then got steamrolled eventually because they sort of lost their heads almost. Like started making basic errors in their own defensive final thirds. Well, it was exactly as we said last week that City would score eventually, and then we wouldn't be able to get one. Well, so as soon as we was go one nil down, you could see them, you could see the confidence go out of them, you could see them, and then almost they don't know whether it's to, to sort of go for a damage limitation because they know they're not going to score. Which so I do, think, you, do you try and lose one nil, or do you at to, least flood forward and get beaten four nil? So it's, to, to me, it looked like um, when, once we were two nil down, it was almost like we tried to go a little bit. Gung ho, and, and then I mean, you look at that—the final goal, that the fourth one for them—that um, was purely because we were all out attack. Yeah. You know, we were all, tri- which at three 0 down is really a bit of a pointless exercise unless you're playing Liverpool. Um, mm. But I, I just think that that it's one of those—it's <laughs> one of those situations, I, I guess, with Hennessy that um, it's. I think the criticism after the Villa game was was justified. It was a ridiculously stupid error. Um, against Man City again it wasn't it was basic I think that that should have been a save that he should have made but is it fair to suggest that had that mistake not happened we would have still continued to you know we'd have continued to play as well as we had done up until that point and that we would have got a result I guess that's just I think we're so lacking in resilience at the moment that I find it difficult to really sort of hypothesise that in the absence of Hennessy making that error it just wouldn't have been someone else making a similarly basic error Mm. leading to a goal and then the floodgates opening again we don't look at the moment for whatever reason I think there's a multitude of reasons we don't look like we've got that resoluteness that we had perhaps two or three months ago where we actually believed that we were going to keep clean shoots and we actually believed that we would stop even the top teams from from scoring Um, there was almost I was watching the game there was almost when Hennessy made that mistake an air of inevitability not because Hennessy himself made the mistake Mm. but just because you kind of feel that Palace look a little bit brittle at the moment and a little bit fragile and I think it would have come elsewhere had it not come through him the thing is as well though with with the back four is if they haven't got confidence in Hennessy it's going to affect the way they play they're going to Mm. sit deeper they're going to try and stop crosses coming in rather than defending in a, a way they defended before when we, we were quite happy for crosses to go in our box and we'd get them away 
I, I'd, I'd be amazed if he didn't drop him on. I, 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 he's made more errors now than McCarthy did, to be to be fair. And they are, like you say, they are costing goals. And I think, I mean, it's a difficult one. But as you say, what do you do? Do you keep trying to up his confidence by letting him let a goal in every week? I don't know. But after, I think the public criticism for me was surely a prelude to to dropping him. But I think, as you say, it's it's something we need to rectify and in the close season because they're all decent enough keepers I I think Julian is probably our best goalkeeper at the moment which is, but I don't think he'll be the option if if he drops Hennessy it'll be McCarthy but we do need a top flight Premier League goalkeeper but, but it's not just it's and you, you, you can't even say that Hennessy's infecting the rest of the team there's something wrong it's interesting the mate of mine as a Newcastle fan pointed me towards one of their sites yesterday and it's basically we told you Palace fans this would happen it plays into the hands of all those people who say it always happens with Pardew, he loses five, six games in a row or he gets bored after 18 months. But I don't think that's the case. I just think, as Andy says, we're being found out a little bit. We're finding out, we're actually finding our real level in this division. Do you think that, I guess the next part of that, of that kind of critical look at our team is, is our midfield. Is that Has that been affected by uh, the loss of Yannick Bellassi and that it kind of destabilises our attacking approach from that midfield area and you end up having to then drag a player like Punchin who was doing quite well in a attacking kind of well people will say that he hasn't been but I, t- personally I think he's at, he, he did an okay job for most of the season in that kind of you know deep lying number 10 kind of role as a result we then end up with having to put either MacArthur or Kabai in the central role. Does that does that play a part as well in that we've we've kind of lost that stability in terms of just across the pitch in the attacking third? Is that is that well? A I mean, he, even when he was playing at number ten this season, I'm, I'm not sure Punchin looked like the player he was last season. We can go in, when we've discussed it at nauseam in previous podcasts. So it's almost sort of no point in going back to the same subject. I guess the question week, is, is, is it right to have Punchin on the wing then in that case? Because is that He's better than any us? of the other alternatives, yeah. frankly, when, when Balassi's out. And I mean, I, we, we mentioned last week quite what a worry it is that if you take one player out of that team, all of a sudden they look utterly impotent. But that was kind of, you know, proven to be the case over the last sort of four or five mm-hmm. matches with Balassi out of the side. The team hasn't looked like it has any sort of attacking impetus. And well, he's I think he's out for worth, another four weeks as well. So. Three weeks minimum. Three. Yeah, I, I think it's worth pointing out that even with Balassi in the team, we weren't scoring a bag full of goals. Mm-hmm. But while he was there and looking at it, I think we we pretty much unchanged for six, seven, eight games. While Yannick was there, it was a very quite rigid formation that the players stuck to and obviously knew very well. And that worked for us. And now just taking one element out of it is just kind of... It's rocked the whole the whole shape and the whole system. He hasn't been able to find a similar replacement for him and we haven't got the same energy and he, he is that get-out ball. But losing one player shouldn't be causing this. I mean, the thing that Chelsea and City, on paper, you'd go, look, a lot of teams are going to lose 3-0 to Chelsea and Man City and then Chelsea draw it home to West Brom and don't look a particularly good team. A lot of teams will lose... Like, I think most of us, all, you know, we, we cherish that idea that we weren't going to get hammered by anybody and now we've let eight goals in in, in three games but the, the Villa one was the worst one Yeah, that was the one that really sets alarm bells ringing because there's simply if we'd beaten Villa and we, were, and we were on 34 points now we'd all be going well we lost to Chelsea City that's fair enough we lost to two teams that are better than us but that Villa result is the one that makes you think well crikey you know, if, if they are a poor Premier League team and we by all accounts were just abject for 90 minutes and gave away a comedy goal that that's the one that 
fills you with a bit of worry. And the fact is, it, it, it simply doesn't look like we're anywhere near bringing anyone in. It looks like they're going to limp on with the squad they've got. And the, the, the squad we've got, you know, it's one of those up and down arguments we had all the way through the first part of the summer and the first part of the season, rather. Because we'd go one week say it's quite a good squad, next week we'd say it's not good enough. And it's not good, it clearly isn't good enough. So I guess that brings yeah. us on to the topic of the final, you know, the final third. Is that... Again, against Manchester City, it's probably not entirely fair to, to say that it's Conor Wickham's fault or, you know, that, that that we don't have the depth up front. That obviously is is clear. Um, Man City probably, as I say, it's not that's not a great example to use because of the kind of team you're playing yeah. in that situation. But against a team like Aston Villa, is it because we don't have have the attacking presence, or is it because we're not creating enough? Is that is it well, a, a mix of the two? You or? can't blame. You can't buy a player who's known for not scoring goals in the Premier League and have the manager say we haven't bought him for his goals. He's, he's there for his link-up play. You can't blame him if he doesn't score goals. Yeah. But we said this last week. It, there's no creativity coming from midfield. That's why he, you, you know Shelby made two goals for Newcastle on Saturday, and he's he's the sort of player we should be looking at as much as a striker. And then Charlie Austin goes for four million quid, which makes you wonder because apparently it was fifteen million quid was the asking price we were that was slapped on him when we were interested or not interested, depending on who you believe at the club. But you can buy as many strikers as you want, but without decent crosses or without decent passes for midfield, they're not going to score goals and. Mm. That's not happening. Mm. Even when Balassi was playing, you know, we, again, it's another perennial subject on the pod. The quality of crossing was just was poor all the way through from both Wilf and Balassi. So uh, that needs to be addressed as well. There's also a slight tactical rigidity to us, and, and mm. we've said it before. When when that entire first eleven were fit, you knew exactly which eleven players were starting. Yeah. You knew exactly the approach they were going to try and go for. You knew if it came off how it was going to end up panning out, and it would sometimes work. But the problem is, the more you get into a season, the more teams have started to get used to the fact that Connor Wickham's going to play in a certain way in that system. The more they become used to certain balls being played in, played in from Kabaya to the wingers at certain times. The more they're used to just setting up in a certain way, and more importantly, the more tired the players get. If you're playing the same system week in week out and the same players week in week out, they're just not going to be able to maintain that level of performance and intensity over 38 games. And it's it's all about options, right? And it, it just seems that while we had that wonderful plan A when it was working probably about six weeks ago, you need sometimes more than that. You need to sometimes be able to adapt how you're going to approach games. You sometimes have to, you know, not just take a backs-to-the-wall kind of approach away from home and hope that every single time you're going to be able to ensure that men are throwing their bodies on the line and that you're able to get one or two against the runner play because sometimes it doesn't happen and then you end up on these sort of goal droughts and, and not scoring and the sort of corresponding underperformance regression to the mean thing that we're talking about. So, I mean, it's, I, I think there's a hugely overstated thing from Newcastle fans where they say that Pardew is completely tactically inept and doesn't know what he's doing. He can't set up a football team and he can't move. I mean, there's a huge amount of vested interest in that being true for, so far as Newcastle fans mm. are concerned. And it's not true. But he does need to become a little bit more adaptable if he's going to really push Palace on into that top eight like he wants to and like he thinks he's capable of doing. He needs to work out what the alternative routes to winning football matches are because it can't always be setting up Conor Wickham 
with Punch and Plan at 10, Zaha one side, Balassi the other, Kabai and MacArthur at the base midfield, Dan, Delaney, Soiree, Ward, and one of the three keepers. Mm. And that's pretty much what it's been for the entire autumn and early winter period. And it, it needs, you know, not necessarily just new faces, but it also needs new ways of approaching football matches. So this well, is Pardew, the f- but Pardew's clearly, he's clearly a good manager. Uh, and it's interesting what Street says there, because on this Newcastle site, I think it's called the Mag, again, they made a lot of play about him, only... He's got a plan A and that's it. But he's, he is clearly a good man. I think what Pardew would argue is this is not quite yet his team. He's only had, what's his second full transfer window? Yeah. He's got, and he, he would say, well, he hasn't got the players to to come up with different alternatives because they simply aren't good enough. I mean, what do you, who, do, who do you look at on the bench? You, know, you replace Wickham with Shamak. Is it you, worth... Or you get Kaika, what do you do? So... It, these are things that need addressing. The goal drought is something we, we haven't scored goals for, for in the Premier League since we got promoted. I think it's, it's not just it's not just part of it. It's been a culture at the club. It's been we've had successive managers who basically their, their tactics are to to try and nick nick wins. And Pulis's tactic was to nick draws. So you've still got a lot of players with the Pulis mindset. So it will take time time to change. I think it was also obvious that when we were going through this run, um, Pardew was trying to kind of manage expectations a little in that he, you know, he, I think there is a, a fair argument that we have been overachieving and that, you know, that I think Andy touched on it in the last podcast that we are, there's an element of regression, but that's almost to be expected. Um, and yeah, Pardew teams have always done that. Pardew teams have always overperformed parts yeah, you, you, of the season, and then you get the corresponding underperformance. You, 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 it's a fair point, but both Pardew and, and Steve Parrish have been quite bullish. And when we were fifth, they were both talking about Europe. Oh, yeah. They were both talking about kicking on. So there was no real noises from the club saying, hang on a second, we're having a particularly good run, we're going to hit a bad spell. It was mainly Palace fans who looked at Pardew's record, and we've always said he tends to lose his games in, in batches. And it's it's it, it's the first. Well, it's not the first blip, is it? Because we had two two seasons of blip. But this is this is really of season one. This is probably Pardew's part first, first rocky patch, isn't it? Yeah, of course, without that, without a doubt. But even then, it's it's only the Villa result that really because you 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 you'd taken a, yeah you look at Bournemouth and the way draw there is not particularly a bad result. Uh, Swansea not a good result, but we beat Southampton in the cup. So Villa, it has a, it, uh, if you're being really objective about it, the only really, really disastrous result was the was the Villa one. Mm. Except, of course, we didn't play away against Chelsea. But in terms of result, only one of them has been disastrous. But clearly, things need to be addressed because at the moment they don't look like the eleven players that we've got that would normally start, including Yannick. They don't look capable of stepping up and and reverting back again. They look like they need freshening up some in some way, shape, or another. How do Palace do that? What do we? I mean, are we? It's all, it, there's lots of talk about a striker, but is it a midfielder that we midfielder that we also need? You know, you mentioned it, it, John Joe Shelby. It, it, it might be as easy as getting a lucky goal in the first half against Tottenham or mm. a late winner against Bournemouth, and then everything's hunky dory and there's a bit of confidence. Then we go into a run of games against teams that we probably be expected to win, and then we'll we'll all look back on this with great fondness and say what happened there then. But what? What can't be allowed to happen is that we lose at home to Tottenham, and then because then we'll be really nervous before the Bournemouth game, mm. and then suddenly Bournemouth have got as many points as we have, and then we and that then starts to affect the play because we won't be playing with as much freedom, because we will be looking over our shoulders. So it needs it needs an opinion above. The I don't what the answer is I don't know because I, I 
I, I was amazed that Shelby went to Newcastle and not mm. to us because I, I really thought all the stars were aligning for that one. It's clearly an area that I can't imagine that Shelby wouldn't have come to us rather than Newcastle, given the choice, not because of uh, any difference in quality of the teams, but just simply because of where he's from and his, his background and his relationship with Pardew. So clearly we didn't go in for him. Adibayo looks like he's, he's going to Villa and, and uh, despite what Pardew said, we weren't interested in him in the first place. But... I mean, the Adi by all one was the one that you think, well, that's, we said last week, that's a no-brainer, in a sense. He, he, he won't be there at the club long enough to disrupt it. He's a Premier League striker. He's big, he's strong, he's fit. The, the crowd will be lifted. Uh, but clearly, you know, either they've decided to muddle on or they've been very canny there, there was... not releasing any hints at all to the press. But from what I can gather, talking to people at the club, there's, no, there's nothing on the radar at all. There was some suggestion with Adebayor that, that the concern was that he's not quite, you know, that he's going to be a three-week to four-week project where he really isn't up to fitness. Um, in part he's fit because... To, he's fit enough to come uh, on for the last... In part because because he was he was training with Watford and apparently then decided that he was going to go back to, uh, uh, you know... Togo. Back to Togo, Togo sorry. Yeah. Just, yeah. That's all right. Back to Togo to, to, to train there. And... and you can't expect a player to just train to the. You know, it's like work. Sometimes it's like working from home. You're not always going to work, good, work you, as hard as you would you, do. Is confession the there, Rob? No, I'm talking about you, Andy. <laughs> you, um, you can't. But he's a big. He's a big flamboyant player and a proven Premier League goal scorer. And sometimes it's not necessarily on the pitch when it changes, mate. It's on the training ground. It's in the dressing room where somebody does come in with a bit of attitude, a bit of spark, and and it lifts everybody else. And, and as Kabai seemed to do at the start of the season, and Kabai is another issue because. We're just not getting enough out of him creatively, mm. creatively at the moment in the system we play. But we clearly, we you know, whoever we get in as a goal scorer, if we do get a goal, it's going to be so much pressure on them to I score think, goals. And it's th- almost unfair. It's also worth just saying. I mean, the frustration right now is is understandable, and and this idea that you know we sign a striker and suddenly everything mm. will everything will be great. It's not realistic. You know, you're you're you're, you're especially if you're signing someone from. Um, from abroad, there's a chance that that will work, but then you look at the examples of players that haven't, like uh, Rondon at uh, West Brom, signed for a lot of money, hasn't really, uh, you know, made made great strides. There've been examples like Matteo Kesman, um, you know, the Van Bulls Swing Club. I mean, there's quite, there's, you know, it's talking, quite a long list. You're talking about, yeah, and these are players it happens, from the, it happens at Man United as well. It happens. You, to, you know, you're talking Maria about a variety the, of yeah, players from very different leagues, and yeah. you know, it's it's about. As much of it is about luck and about chance for that kind of that player to kick on. Yeah. Um, so I guess, it, I, and, and the other thing as well is that you know, for all the stuff about there not being much media about about you know media coverage about players Palace might be signing, um, how many of us really knew about Kabai until about a week before it happened, like three days before it happened? You know, it's one of those things where Palace, I think, tend to be quite quiet. No one knew about Connor Wickham when we signed him. But I think there's also there's also an element that Kabai is the outlier. If you look at Palace's strategy generally, they're very much focused on effectively exploiting imperfect markets where mm. you basically get players who are undervalued by teams mm. or who are sort of being cast aside by teams or who are misfits. The whole sort of money ball approach almost. And the higher you go up in the league, the harder it is to find players from that sort of background who are going to be good enough to adapt to the top eight of the Premier League. It, it's fine if you want to finish 17th in the Premier League. There's a plethora of footballs out there who are going to be good enough, who haven't been thought quite good enough by the teams, perhaps erroneously, who can come in and do a great job. Look at Shamak in our first season and a half in the Premier League. 
fitted that mould absolutely perfectly. But because of the, the sort of modus operandi that you've now got and the type of player that you now need, it becomes a lot more difficult to reconcile those two things. So effectively, you're hopefully trying to look for one or two things. You're either building a scouting network that's sort of sophisticated enough and has a wide enough reach to be able to find players like Igalo from effectively you know Nigeria and, and from places that don't have particularly built up leagues and really catch these guys young but that has all the sort of connotations that some fans don't like anyway mm-hmm. or you're building up your youth system with enough infrastructure spending to bring through the next crop of you know South Londoners I mean, there was a really good article not that long ago by Barney Rona about yeah. this whole generation of, of South Londoners who've come through some of them have come through Palace's Academy but a lot of them haven't mm-hmm. and there's a huge pool of talent in South London that could potentially be, you know, the next generation of Premier League footballers. But it's going to take time and it's also going to take investment in that element of the club. And to be honest, I would rather that we trod water around the mid-table area and didn't spend the shed load of cash on bringing in a Zaza or bringing in a Slimani or bringing in a Babacar if it means we can plough enough money into the academy and into the development of that area that we can start bringing through players like Southampton do. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, but that would be my chosen route. The, the, the academy route is, is also a very brave one because... It's easier for Southampton to do that when they're in League League One and the Championship. Mm. In the Premier League, the fans aren't as forgiving towards young players as they perhaps would be if you're in a Championship. And yeah, we, we see managers like Pulis who point blank refuse to to play young youngsters in the Premier League because he said it was just too difficult for them and too potentially too damaging for them. Pardew said in public, uh, he said that the Player of the Year doing since he wasn't entirely enamoured of Newcastle's transfer policy and that having a dressing room full of League One from France players wasn't always a brilliant idea and we've seen it with Villa Sherwood bought in I think seven or eight French players although after said it wasn't his decision so I think that's not a model Pardew wants to go down and also I think we shouldn't forget as well that in terms of wages the, the, the big TV money hasn't arrived yet that's next season so we're still not in a situation where we can compete wage wise even with somebody like Southampton and also we've got a chairman who quite rightly isn't you know, Kabai is a one-off, but we've got a chairman who isn't prepared to talk stupid figures for every single player that he's, that he's offered, which is why I think we we lose some. So I tend to agree with Andy. I think the club, I know I understand what Rob's saying about sometimes there aren't any rumours, but I think I wouldn't be surprised if we don't bring anyone in. I wouldn't be surprised if they take a calculated gamble that you know when the sun will come out and we'll win a few more games and we will finish top 10 and everyone at the end of the season I think would be would be happy with that and then see what happens in the summer with, when more money's coming in and see what we can do and who we bring in but the, the the point is I think we need to accept there's a certain emotional attachment from Palace fans to this side because we still have players like Delaney who, who got us promoted players like Dan who came out of the Championship we still cling to this idea that we we're a plucky South London underdog type team and that's lovely and I really like that and we need to retain that but the fact is that if we want to push on, like everyone talks about, then five or six of these players won't be in the team next next season. It's, it's, mm. it's as simple as that. So you can either you can either take emotion and identity and mid table, or you can accept that we we the better players that we bring in will stay with us for two years and then move somewhere else. So yeah, and on that note, uh, we're going to wrap up part one. Uh, oh, we're still late for you know, what for yeah, one nil down. We're, plenty we're, we're, plenty we're, positive. We're late right, right from the Premier League, despite. And I think it's a testament to how well we did earlier in the season that even with dropping points left, right and centre, we are eighth in the Premier League. Yeah. 
And, it's also uh, worth yeah. saying that against against City, despite it wasn't a, it wasn't a Villa esque performance. No, no, it wasn't. And the club had been at point at pains to point that out. And yeah. so I spoke to Terry Byfield yesterday. who said everyone was relatively upbeat on the on the way back because they thought they had played. They played really well mm. for half an hour, and yeah. they they redeemed themselves somewhat with the performance. And they've got they one made. of the top two number nines in the oh, world. They've yeah. got fifty million pound oh. winger on one side, forty million pound ginger lad on the other side. That you know, it's, it's a team's that collective with, value. How, how many? Yeah. But how, we, how many times have we said this? We said this every week against teams. How many of their starting level would get in our team, and how many of ours would get in theirs? I mean, it's you still laugh. I mean, the first time we 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 played them in 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 the Premier League when they were. Announcing their team and announcing ours, you just have to laugh the quality yeah. of the players they've got. So there's no, you know, that, that wasn't a four 0 that happened. That was a it was a defeat and, yeah. and not an unexpected one. So it's 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 not entirely doom and gloom. It's a bit of doom and a bit of gloom, but not entirely. No more than uh, right. like the last twenty five years, I really. <laughs> no. And by the way, before we start, by the way, before the person who tweets every week that like, I talk too much, a there's only three of us this week. B <laughs> And he's a lawyer, so he charges us every time he speaks. See, <laughs> uh, <so> deal with it. <laughs> and, and listeners should really listen to the length of you talking oh, before I've cut all the defamatory stuff out. <laughs> just saying. Oh, let's just wrap it up there. Speaking of which, oh. <laughs> Well, 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 yeah, get to the break because I've, uh, I've got a really good one for, jo- for Mr. Lloyd. <laughs> Join us in part two where we're going to uh, cover some of the questions we've received. <laughs> Welcome back to the Five Year Plan Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Vector Printing. For all your print and embroidery needs, go to vector.co.uk, and that's Vector with a K. And JCIS, the global research and brand consultancy from South London, visit jc-is.com. And don't forget your Vector with a K t-shirts. That's right, and the FYP t-shirts, which are amazing. You've definitely seen them, haven't you, Rob? Yeah, but I've, I've held <laughs> them in my very own hands. They've looked, they really are amazing. Right. If they did Vector with a K, but the K was embroidered, that would be good. I'd buy that, that. That, that would be, really be good. good, yeah. I'm going to get a JCIS t-shirt just to be difficult. Yeah. Do they even do t-shirts? Well, they will do if I ask Vector. I'm going to ask Vector yeah. to print <laughs> JCIS on a t-shirt. Good idea. It's good to say JCIS, my favourite <laughs> FYP sponsor. That. And if I'm paying the paying the piper, then I get to call the tune. Make yeah. sure it's embroidered In your well. face, Vector. Yeah, yeah, I will do. Yeah. Um, so here we are. We, we've got to the point where we've got people submitting questions. I've got a question. Yeah. What's your question? What proportion of them were negative? Uh, ooh, that's a good question. Uh, not that many, actually. Because I'm fine with negative questions, unlike other podcasts. Yeah, well, I, I always wonder every week when JD goes, thanks for your questions, they're all brilliant, but I'm going to get a read out four. <laughs> Whether that's his way of telling us the others. The um, others to be a bit different, I'm going to read out three. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the questions have been, I'd say questions have been very good and very constructive. I think it's typical that, that you're going to find a few questions about transfers. And yeah, of course. The first one. Uh, is from Ben Allen. Oh, hi, Ben. Uh, and he says, is signing a striker on loan or short deal only pushing the problem into the summer where we already need three or four players? I think, yes. It's, I think we've sort of touched on that. It's a very it's a very good question. It depends, I suppose, on the quality of the striker you, you sign. If you bring in somebody of proven quality, you can get you six or seven goals between now and the end of the season. You'd say that was a good... But I don't think that sort of player's... Out there, and as I think Andy said last week, if they were, why would a club loan them to to us anyway? 
and I, I think I'm actually think Andy's suggested earlier that they probably will wait and do make get a permanent solution. I mean, there's a, unless you can find effectively the Neil Warnock of strikers, i.e., a stopgap until your chosen sort of candidate is available. And perhaps we're just going to scout Babacar until he's 72. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> is it about six windows in a row now I've been yeah, scouting him. Yeah. I mean, just to really make sure. Really, yeah, It's like when I first wanted to buy an iPad. I went into Curry's about 18 yeah. times in a row in two different days just to check it. They seem to be doing that with Abacar repeatedly. Yeah. Just just buy the guy. If you're, if you're watching him that much, yeah. and if you're still interested in him that much, surely you should just bite the bullet. But that's as an aside. Um, I mean, we, we'll need some sort of faces you would have thought till the end of the season, even mm. if it is someone on loan, even of low quality, because Shamak's not going to be fit. Um, Gail and uh, Wickham between them seem to like getting injured every now and then. And I don't think you'll pick Gail even if he's fit. Well, no. Well, he picked him against Man United not that long ago, I suppose. Yeah. But I mean, I don't see either of them staying fit for a protracted run of games. So, if there is a sort of stopgap solution, I wouldn't be surprised if we sort of try to pursue that route. But I mean, you do wonder whether or not they're going to bite the bullet on sort of one of these high-profile strikers. They seem to have been scouting for quite a while because there's talk about, as, as we said in the previous part, you know, and we've said in previous pods. Slimani, Zaza, Babacar, these yeah. names keep on coming up and mm. keep on coming up. So you do wonder, you know, what, what the sort of value is in waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. It might drive the price down, but it might just open up the possibility for one of these guys to go elsewhere. And if you're prepared to spend the money, you know, ultimately, if you buy one of these players a little bit earlier in the January window and almost say to yourself, look, we're probably standing in the Premier League and it gives him a period to bed in yeah. so that he's ready to go next season rather than buying in the bit, summer window and then waiting for him other, to bed in over the, the autumn the, the thing is clubs quite understandably don't really want to let you have a player on spec so to speak to say you could sort of take him on a mm. test drive for three months <laughs> to see whether or not you want to buy him and the fact is look, logically players that you get in on loan are out of favour at other clubs and are not <laughs> potentially not likely to be the answer to the solution you know Sonogo for example who Arsenal fans still can't believe that we took him off their off their hands and in a way you're almost better to looking for somebody from a lower division English club who might mm. be able to get you a club I just think I just think in terms of just getting a bit of different energy into the club a different mm. couple of different faces in the dressing room might just help everybody else it puts people on their toes it makes more competition for places also you know is it time to take a look at Johnny Williams I don't know look at some of the players in the squad that we have got it doesn't sound like Pardew it doesn't sound playing. like Pardew yeah. fancy, but again and we've talked about this before. It is an option. Fifteen minutes to go. It's driving at the heart of the defence. At least it's a different sort of midfield player. We talk about Plan B's and Plan B, Plan C. That's the sort of midfield player we simply haven't we haven't got. But I mean, it would be lovely to get someone in, but it's it's no point thinking that we're going to get someone in who will score ten goals between. I've I've now. basically got to the position right. Well, I've, I've said in my head, and I've become comfortable with the fact that we're not bringing anyone else in. So if we don't bring anyone else in, I won't be disappointed. They and won't. If they they do, won't come. Then yeah, that's I mean, a it's just going to be a really pleasant surprise, yeah. and I'll get very drunk. But if we don't, I'm just going to go. Well, that's normal. This is a January window. We've got to the end, and we've signed Kevin Doyle on loan again. Brilliant. Yeah, right. So that, that I, I would suggest to show Lamiobi's back back available. So. Well, I mean, I mean, apparently he was great around the training ground. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I, the window should be three days. Yeah. I don't understand the list. Let all the deals happen. If we're going to sign somebody. We've already missed five games in January that a new signing would have been really useful for. Yeah. We might have nicked us a goal against Villa, or we might have done something against Villa, or we might have saved a goal against Villa. You never know, or got something against 
I can't remember his Swansea was this year. I know it wasn't. It's twenty eighth. So let's let's cut that that one there. That was a really good question. Well, it was a good question. question. We yeah, want to make sure we kind of spread out. Do more than three questions. Yeah. On JD. Yeah. Um, another question is from uh, James. His Twitter handle is the Second Suitor. Oh hi, James. Um, he says James Suitor. So how's Suter spelled there? Uh, S-U-I-T-O-R. Oh, okay. Um, oh, nice. He says, with talk of propensity for bad runs, uh, for part with Pardew. He's already got um, my interest with a long word. Can you, name a pal- can you name a Palace manager that hasn't had bad runs? Isn't that just part of football? Oh, that's, that's a fair that, point. That is a, that is a fair point. That is a very fair point, actually, James. But there is, I mean, Pardew came, it's one of the, Parts of the Pardew myth, wasn't it, that he, he loses all his games in one batch? So I think we're sort of playing into that a little bit. But yeah, let's be fair. Like the, the first two seasons in the Premier League started with this basically a four-month bad run, didn't it? So it's it's yes, that's a, that is a very that's a very fair point. Actually. And at least yeah, with yeah. Pardew, you do know that you're getting a corresponding good run, whereas with yeah, yeah. Warnock and Holloway, you didn't even get that. And people, you know, people obviously it's a bit difficult now. In the there's this. Um, sort of split between people who either hate Pulis or look at him in a misty-eyed fashion. But people have to remember that even in that season where we did stay up under Pulis, there was still a little bad run that mm. culminated in that sort of Swansea draw. Yeah. And we weren't sure for quite a while if we were actually going to stay up. We did push on and then put string together some wins towards the end of the season, putting together a good run. But there were bad runs too on him. And so it's an entirely fair point. Unless you're a top four team who blaze their way into the Champions League by being consistent all season, then every team has bad runs. Well, the, 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 story of this, well, the story of this Premier League is that no one's really doing that for a start, mm. which is partly why we're still late. Also, don't forget we had that little spell under Pardew, West Brom Hole, where we lost two home games, played abjectly in, in, in both of them. Mm. And also, let's not forget, two weeks ago in the uh, Sunday Mirror, Andy Dunn was arguing that Pardew should be... England manager, so he's he's, he's clearly he's, he's he is a good manager. He's the best manager we've got. He's a manager who knows the Premier League. So it's it's almost it's kind of interesting to see how he manages his way out of the situation. Because if Warnock was the manager or Holloway was the manager, you'd kind of go, well, that's it, we're done. They can't get us out of this. Mm. I'd drink a lot more Guinness if they were. Well, we, yeah, we would. But yeah. you, you know, and and you're right to an extent about Pulis as well, because you kind of think if Pulis team's getting it right, you kind of think that's interesting. But with Pardew, we know that we've got. a a manager that most teams in the Premier League would be happy with, mm. who's got a good team around him. So he will, I'm, I'm confident he will manage us out, us out of it, which is why I'm not panicking in the way that I would good have done. And, and also, it's not through luck that we got, I mean, if we were having this conversation in September, you'd be, you'd be worried, but we, we didn't, we, it's more than halfway through the season, we didn't get 31 points by luck. I think it's, it's yeah. worth going on to another question. That was a really good question from, good question. Uh, yeah. from James. Um, David Fraser. Hi, David. Um, David. He says, at what point does the current run of form um, become a concern and can we can we still rule out a relegation battle? Oh, come on. Yeah. We've only got to get nine points for... Uh, we're not even... We'd ha- I think we'd have to have a, a worse run of form than Aston Villa have for the start of the season, wouldn't we? It's it's one of those yeah, things I mean, where... We're, not, we're going we're to win more games this season. There's no there's no doubt about that. We We are eighth in the Premier League. It would take... Yeah, one of the teams in the bottom three might have a, a, a miraculous recovery. I don't think that's going to be the case, and we will get points. I, I think, I think the Bournemouth game is is starting to become. I think it's not so much do we get in the relegation battle, but how we go into next season, basically. Because if we end up fifteenth, sixteenth after already sort of scraping together four more wins this season, 
when at one stage, you know, not long before Christmas, we were talking about 65, 70 points and possibly we were getting carried away and I think we talked about that. But if we if we end up yeah, with 44, 45 points rather than 60 points, then you go into the next season you know, in, a, in a much worse shape. It's harder to recruit players. So it's more about getting impetus and positivity and and also don't forget the extra money you get for each league play. So, but no relegation. I generally don't. And a lot of people took me to task. I think people will get fidgety though if, if, if it's sort of two more losses in a row. Well, I think I, I think, think that's the fair. Point I, I in the think question. people. The, the thing is, we've got three home games coming up as well, and the home game, the home form is something we have to improve. Mm. That's that's a, whatever happens this season. The home form has got to be sorted mm. out for next season. There are already Palace fans going, yeah, we're doing this because we're concentrating on the cup, which again, you have to admire the positivity and optimism of some people. <laughs> but Tottenham, I, we, I think Palace fans would take a loss against Tottenham at home, because Tottenham are a really useful team. Anything other than beating Bournemouth, I think people would really start to start to get twitchy then. And Bournemouth are a decent footballing side. Mm. Uh, we've bought three good attacking players in the, in the window and spent a lot of money. So I think that really would get Palace fans. If we end up in the next three games out of the cup and not having one or two home games in the league I think I think things will get a bit it just make my birthday celebration a bit muted as it well would, it would yeah. do yeah but things will start to get a bit ugly then I think especially definitely. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, good question yeah. again not your birthday so I mean on, well on no that, I would, yeah. wouldn't dare have, yeah. uh, another question is from a chap called Wayne oh, hi Wayne um, and uh, it's spelled like that <laughs> that's that on Twitter yeah that's, oh, well, that's, that's, like a, that's his name with right. three exclamation marks oh nice um, he's saying that uh, Bruce Dyer's missus was on um, The Voice Nice. Uh, at the weekend. Nice. Okay. But yeah. she said she doesn't care who Palace or Barnsley are. Uh, should we root for her because of him or not? No. No. no, I, no, I, I, no. I don't care if she wins the voice. In you fact, what? no, I actively hope she does not win the voice now. When I, when I like I, Bruce Dyer, though. When I was, uh, I was 15 or 14 years old, I went up to Heathrow after Palace played at Chi- on tour in China. And I was waiting for uh, Bruce Dyer to, to well, all the, all the team to come out from the gate. And uh, we were... You were we, to Heathrow for that? Yeah, we were pro- I was a proper goon. Uh, with an auto- <laughs> autograph book and everything. So I'm stood there with, with uh, one of my friends. And uh, we, we started talking about who we'd probably have to get rid of because of the... the I think we were in, in administration at the time. And uh, the, the subject of Bruce Dyer came up and we were, all just, we were just saying how, how, how rubbish he was. You know, shit, we should probably get rid of him. Team team comes out. Bruce Dyer walks right over to us and stood next to us was his wife and their two kids. Oh, <laughs> At which point no. she told him no. what we'd said. Oh. <laughs> we so sheepishly she's... tried to get. It's an no order. wonder she said that oh. on the voice. It's we probably she, all she's thinking in her head is she's going up to see Will I Am or whatever. We it's, oh, it's all down to that little kid I saw at Heathrow, but all the all those years ago. Well, Had he not said that, I would go. Don't, imagine, don't care about Barnsley, but I care about Palace. Imagine a yeah. posh little twat uh, like then asking for a seat, uh, for an autograph. Uh, oh, he told us to. Fuck off! It now I know. Excuse the language. <laughs> now, I, now I know she's a grass as well. Yeah, yeah terrible. Oh, well, I, I almost admire you for even asking him for the autograph. <laughs> I was 15, that said, though. yes, you are rubbish, but could you sign this? <laughs> That's all right. I like that. No, no, we're not supporting her. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no can, I'm definitely not supporting her. She can do her. one. Not that harbour yeah. grudge. Um, if Jerry Murphy's wife was on, I would definitely support Jerry Murphy's wife. <laughs> Jerry Murphy Claxon. <laughs> uh, James Endersby. Oh, uh, he asked. I hope it sounds it's a almost like Endicott, doesn't it? Tribute, yeah, yeah, very close. It's not quite. No. James Endicott tribute act. Um, like he asks four of them, wouldn't they? One, <laughs> one jacket. He, he asks, "Are we all, hi, James? By the way, hi, yeah, James. Hello, mate. Uh, are we all too scared to admit, avoiding the fact 
or, or avoiding the fact that Kabai hasn't quite lived up to expectations. I think that's very harsh. I think he, he's. Yeah. I think he has been great. I think he's, and I don't know whether it's because people hadn't perhaps seen him play at PSG and only remember the goals from his time at, at Newcastle. I think he's not the sort of player that some people were under the impression that we were going to be buying. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a, he is a destructive defensive midfielder. That's where he wants to play. That's what you know based on his numbers is what he's good at I think everyone assumed that we were getting you know a complete box to box midfielder who was going to score goals and, and create a bit of havoc in the final third and I don't think that was ever the type of player that he was going to be so I think if that was your you know initial perception of what we were getting then yeah you will be a bit disappointed if if that wasn't and perhaps you were sort of not necessarily going into it with a fixed mindset then perhaps not but I think I think that I actually think that's a very good question because I think a lot of Palace fans feel that way. I, I I understand what Andy's saying. I thought we would see a bit more out of him creatively because I thought I didn't think we'd bought it, we'd bought him to be a defensive midfield player. To be perfectly honest, what he does, he does really well, and I think that's become less visible. I mean, certainly in games like the West Brom game where he was just running the whole the whole thing from in front of the back four, where he just kept the ball moving all the time. The way Charlie Adam used to do every pass was a good pass every pass was a forward pass we, yeah, we saw all the stats about his tackles and his intercepts but it's still we still didn't quite believe that that's what we bought him for he's actually very good at his job it's just a little bit disappointing that that's what his his job is and I think we well, I think we all thought we were getting maybe a more slightly more defensive Lombardo for want of a better description so he hasn't quite been the flamboyant Player that we we thought we were getting, and I think we thought we would get a few free kicks from him. And but he's been he's been a really good player without a doubt. But it just hasn't quite he hasn't quite lived up to the expectations. But that's because the expectations were probably misguided. For and for my, I include myself in that. I, I thought we would be playing him 10, 20 yards further forward than where we than where we have been. I think he's he is the fulcrum of the team in terms of our midfield presence. And then when you it's it's kind of to be expected that when you have a player like that and then you try and put, you know, perhaps lesser players next to him or, or surround him with those to some extent, there's only so much that a player like Kabai can do to lift the quality of the way that we play. You know, you have to provide him with it, it, the tools to, to be able to, you know, to, to, to create chances and to have players that, that he can pass to knowing that the ball's not just going to go... Mm-hmm. You know, run off to some to to one of the opposition players. I think it's it, you, you have to look at where we were before we had Kabai, mm. and I guess the long term plan for for how Kabai can fit in in terms of not just this season, but the season you know next season and the season after that. Him playing defensive midfield to some extent, I think, is just because he's getting he's getting a bit older. He's a little bit less mobile, but. He has so much quality when he is on the ball that he can do everything else. Well, I thought it was very. I mean, he, he has value in a different way because, as Scott Dan said, he, he wanted to stay at Palace because we've got Kabai. We was, he will certainly help to attract other players to the club. But I thought it was telling after he scored the goal against Southampton, which is one of the best team goals we scored this season, really, with the ball forward to to Balassi, that Pardew was was laughing about. Kabai being so far forward and Southampton was the last thing they expected was to him to be bursting into the box the last thing anybody expected and he, he, he joked about actually having a word with him afterwards saying that's not what you're, what you're there for but I think a lot of us myself included thought that was more of the sort of thing we would be getting from Kabai um, and I think maybe you're right maybe it's age maybe it's fitness he doesn't 
take as many opportunities to get forward as, as I think he as wants I, to play I, in that position as, as well. I like. Oh no, he does. It's quite. Yeah. It's, it's quite obvious. He's made it plain, and that's where he yeah. he wants to play. But then you'd kind of hope that given that platform in front of the back four that that would release other players to be to be more creative or or to make the sort of runs we talk about Johnny Williams doing and, and that we've only really seen MacArthur do against against Newcastle you know yeah. um, final good question but was, yeah, it, it was a, really a good question, good question. and it also it does articulate what a lot of Palace fans have been starting to to stay because he, it, I think it also represents the fact that it's still a, we're a club that that's a massive signing for us. that amount of money is a big amount of money and I think you always assume you want to see you know it's like you, you spend it on an extension you want to see your extension basically so I think that's what it reflects but yeah it is a good yeah. question very much um, Kieran uh, Ramdewar hi Kieran, hi, Kieran. Uh, is asking uh, if we ended 10th to t- between 10th and 12th would that be such a bad thing I think we're probably about between the 10th I, and 12th I, best team in the league or I, really I mean yeah, you look at all all the sort of uh, nerdy stats things that I've been talking about for sort of weeks and weeks and weeks, and sort of how we've been performing up to up to this stage, and sort of expected goals and all those sort of metrics. And um, we have been between sort of eighth and twelfth on sort of different people's yeah. views of things. And I think that's that's probably right. Mm. And anywhere within that window is going to be a good achievement because you know you can have what happened to Palace at the end of the Pulis season. Where all of a sudden, you go on a bit of a hot streak right yeah. at the end of the season, and you push up arguably higher than you perhaps deserve yeah, to be yeah, in yeah. terms of the overall quality of the league that can happen um, I, I personally wouldn't be too averse to that but I think it's it's, it's almost um, analogous to the last question in some ways you know people have expectations and expectations get inflated by certain things and the expectation when Kibai came in was that he'd be a certain type of player when things have then been a little bit different from that, it then leaves some people a little bit disappointed. When you have a team that pushes on towards fifth at a very early stage in the season because they got on a hot streak and because they overperform, inevitably fans are going to think, you know, now we can start to dream. Now we can start to think that we can finish in the top six so that when you then actually end up regressing to the mean and going back to probably what is your rightful position, people do end up a little bit peeved. Do you think that the Leicester City example is kind of playing a part in that? That people (sighs) saying, well, look at them, why are they doing um, as well as they are and we're not? I keep... I mean, Leicester's a really interesting one because just as... As, as a friend of mine pointed out, I've been I've been predicting that the transfer bubble would will burst for the last twenty years, and I've been predicting that Leicester's bubble will burst for the last. It's I think it does kind of make other teams go well. Why can't we do that? And I think the the thing is that player for player, we're probably as good as Leicester. It's it's amazing. It's interesting because Andy talked earlier about other teams coming to grips with us and learning how to play us, but they don't seem to have done that. Against Leicester, albeit they're struggling for goals albeit. a little bit. Uh, albeit, <laughs> thank you. Anyway, <laughs> uh, sorry, thank you. Uh, so, I, but, um, would we have taken tenth at the start of the season? Yeah, of course we would. I mean, it, it, avoiding relegation was the important thing this season, so we're there next season. But it, it is just because we had that brilliant spell that we all dared, we all dared to dream. It, it, it also, it depends how we play for the rest of the season as well. Uh, to an extent, and yeah, I think if we, you know, if we if we finish tenth, but with some good performances and maybe seeing Kai Kai play for a couple of games, and we go into the season next season full of hope. But uh, we've also talked about it. it would be it would be terribly disappointing if Palace fans were to think we've had a bad season mm. because we finished tenth, because yeah, we 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 did get carried away. We joked about getting into Europe. We, we, 
we're not we're not as we're behind West Ham, we're behind Tottenham, we're ahead of Watford, we're ahead of Bournemouth. That's where we have to be realistic about where we are. But we also have to be realistic about the fact that we we we've stayed in the Premier League or we will stay in the Premier League and we've got the resources and the investment to push on. That's the that's the important thing. But I think I don't think this sort of little dose of reality is a, is a bad thing in a way. I know it feels a little bit like a cup of cold water thrown in the face, but I I think it helps put our feet on the ground and be a bit more realistic about where we are. But it still doesn't mean we haven't we should lose the optimism that we've had for this season about upcoming seasons. I think we're still very much on a on an upward curve, mm. and we're a club that's going to attract better players. And it it will take two or three seasons before we're sort of looking to get into Europe. But I think we will be. I think we will be challenging for Europe in two or three seasons' time. And that's that's the important. That's a positive, thing. isn't it? Yeah, I and think... also you look at you have to look at the stability off the pitch as well, which is which is something we haven't had for a long time. We're, a, we're an attractive proposition. Mm. You know, we're get, we're getting a new stand. We're we're getting a wash and brush up everywhere. So we, it's it's and I'm not going to say I know it annoys a lot of people because when I say look where we were. Five six years ago, so I was still in your front room doing so, a podcast. Yes, I know you were yeah. Yeah, different front room. But yeah, so I'm not going to say that, but yeah, cl- clearly this is still a good time to be a Palace fan. But I think there will be some Palace fans who who will moan if we t- finish tenth or twelfth. But that's what I that's think. Andy's, almost what party uh, and, I, and 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 Paris asked for, and in in you know expectations do change, and I that's think, where we are. But now. Andy's right. I mean, tenth or twelfth is probably where we are, and. Mm. Tenth in the in the most demanding football league in the world it isn't a bad place to be, really. And the thing is, as well, like just a very quick point on on on, on Leicester because I know people will have their sort of expectations almost inflated by the Leicester experience this season. There haven't been that many games where Leicester haven't had Mares, yeah. Vardy, yeah, yeah, and yeah, Kante yeah. all fit, all raring to go, all being able to demonstrate 100% intensity. If you take two of them out of the team because they're yeah. injured. <laughs> You know, then they start to regress a little bit. Once teams start getting used to the manner in which Ranieri's set them up, which is a slightly more recent phenomenon than Pardew setting us up, because obviously Pardew's been in situ at Palace a bit longer than Ranieri has at, at Leicester, you know, there, there'll be a bit of a regression there too. So people probably need to not get too carried yeah, away a, by the Leicester a, thing. A draw at Villa was a bad result for them as well. And before the cup game with Tottenham, they were struggling to score. So, yeah, I mean, I think it has kind of... It's changed the perception of fans of, of lower clubs. But yeah, West Ham fans will be saying, well, if Leicester can do that, why can't we? Yeah. Liverpool and Everton fans will be saying, if Leicester can do that, why can't we? I, I think the thing is, if you were to ask me who I think will finish higher in the league table next year, Palace or Leicester, I'd say Palace, because I just I can't see this being anything other than a one-off from Leicester's point of view. That's a great point to wrap that up yeah. on. Um, so we're, we're now going to go to uh, Palace on this day. Well, which I think is is JD's regular thing now, isn't it's it? His, it's his favourite thing. It's, it only goes up to two. That along with that, terrible yeah. parody songs and slight yeah. speech impediments. Yeah. yeah. And the haircuts. And the haircut thing. <laughs> yeah. He can't say anything. He's not here. And drifting, but he'll be listening to this. So hi, JD. And, and <laughs> drifting, literally drifting off halfway through a sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Like the dormouse in, in the Madhouse teapot. <laughs> he should live in a teapot, surely. He's got the demeanour of a man who's... Well, he looks like a man who does live in a teapot, yeah. frankly. And also, what I like about it on this day is that the book only goes up to 2008, so anything that happens in this week after that, yeah, you're, not, you're, not, you're not hearing about. Because there's no sort of online network of information where no. you can find out about what's happened. If only there was something... Forget Wikipedia. A new book that. by Ian King that goes up to his last season <laughs> with everything in it, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
Uh, which I've got in my in next door, <laughs> which I keep pointing out to him. I've got a book next door that can tell you what happened um, this week. Oh, bless him. So, uh, yeah, so anyway, <laughs> enough uh, about having a go at JD, but um, it was fair enough. No, it's um, out of affection. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the first thing that we're going to look at is back in 1981. Oh, so join us then. then. Uh, Ron Nodes yeah. made an announcement. Can you think of what that might have been? Was this that Alan Mullery was going to become our manager? Uh, it wasn't. That, apparently, Wilfred's just bought his house. Wilfred Zahar's just bought one of those house, apparently. Yeah, with the footballer in the swimming pool. Uh, uh, yeah, and the uh, mosaic with the... Um, 1981. Oh, well, this wasn't about um, sh- becoming share of uh, merging with Wimbledon, was it? Uh, it wasn't quite merging. No, or... it was. Um, it was Wednesday, the 18th of February, and uh, Ron Nodes stated publicly. We're, we're 18th of January, I hope. Otherwise, we're we're, we're a month out. Oh, he, uh, <laughs> he sent me the February ones. <laughs> God love him. God. <laughs> even, when he, even when he's not here. Even when oh, he's, that's great. Even when he's not, even when he's not here. <laughs> right, well, anyway. So I'll go and get the book. Let's so talk. maybe, maybe on the 18th of, of February, February we'll we can do the January, January ones. How about yeah. that? Should we do that? That's yeah, just a great idea. Let's go on a break. Let's go on a lovely one, Jamie. I think famously, I think actually, I think, I think famously, this is the week where nothing happened. Nothing's ever happened to Palace no. this week, is it? No. I've got to, for, yeah. yeah. I mean, to be fair, I should have probably looked at what he'd sent me, but I just assumed that he'd sent you, me the right well, dates. Well, why would you, why would, no, you've, how long but have you known assuming he's made an ass of uh, him and me. Um, anyway, uh, apparently Very Ron Nodes back in February of 1981. In this um, month? In this, no, no, in this <laughs> season. Not even, yeah. In this, in this uh, suggested that, uh, <laughs> well, he basically killed off the ground sharing idea with Wimbledon. Um, so <laughs> Shall we well, see what we can do with good. Wikipedia? That's good. The, no, I <laughs> what think, do we I do think, now? Let's... I think we uh, we put this one down yeah. to experience. <laughs> and uh, right. let's perhaps... Shall we talk it. about what what, uh, what to expect from the Spurs yeah, game? Or we'll move on to the next, uh, yeah, next we'll part. We'll go to a break. I mean, we'll yeah. go to a break <laughs> while we phone up JD. Uh, join us in part <laughs> three for, part three, yes, for the preview of the Spurs game. And welcome back to part three of the Five Year Plan podcast. Uh, Brought to you by Vector Printing. For all your print and and embroidery needs, go to vector.co.uk. And that's Vector with a K. As well as JCIS, the global research and brand consultancy from South London. Visit jc-is.com. You, you you started that intro just as Street you were staring at me because I was having seen a senior moment complaining about how hot the radio was. Through, is in it my own menop- house. menopause? When there's quite clearly uh, a, I could either move a bit further away from it, or B, I could turn it down because I'm looking at the radiator. <laughs> 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 I find radiator descriptions work particularly well on podcasts. Yes, they do. Yeah, but yeah. it's just that might explain why I was sounding a bit vacant when <laughs> I say vector, vector with a K and with as much enthusiasm as I as I normally. Also, I was pondering the fact that. that <laughs> JD's not even here and he managed to cock up. <laughs> That's cock with a K. Um, and also the fact that he'll blame you. Well, he always does that. When you what? say, JD, what, what's in the go? Well, you flustered me. It is my you fault. Know. I didn't. I should have checked what he what he sent. Yeah, Why he should you check what another grown-up... Well, you would assume that so. a grown-up man knows what week it is. Yeah. Oh, no, hang on. Well. Yeah, fair point, yeah. 
<laughs> these things since, happen. Since he moved to Cheshire, he's been. He's, he's had a bit of a Hennessy, hasn't he? He's since yeah, he's done a bit of a drop, yeah, he's, dropped a clanger. He's, he's <laughs> demonstrated terrible footwork. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, he's slowed down a bit, hasn't he? Since he moved to Cheshire, he hasn't. Really, yeah. yeah, he's gone late. He's gone native. It's up in Tottenham country, is that? Yeah. Which is perfect, a perfect segue uh, to... Uh, it is hot though, isn't it? It is hot. <laughs> no, that was just my sizzling link. <laughs> Andy's got his sizzling link out again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Uh, we're talking about Tottenham, uh, which is our next fixture. So that'll be fun, won't it? Uh, they just, yeah. I'm a bit they, worried. They just won their last game for one. I think they've been four very, very good games. all season. Frankly, they've played very consistently. They've won. Uh, they've lost. Sorry, only three games. They've just put in good performances most weeks, mm. and have been, you know, only on, you know, the receiving end of bad results against really Newcastle. Um, and they've got some excellent footballers, and they're, they're set up in, I think, the sort of way that might cause a team who are looking a little bit. Mm reticent at the moment a few problems mm-hmm. um, but they're, they're not having too many problems scoring goals at the moment either so it's a bit of a bit of a worry that match to be honest I think the only plus is that we probably would have said that this time last year going into exactly the same game at exactly the same time at exactly the same time yeah when it was just after I mean it's Pardew's first home league game wasn't it yeah it was And we went, which we won after going mm-hmm. 1-0 down um, the only I mean it's funny Tottenham fans who could complain about Everything landing in a barrel with Kate Bush and Barbara Windsor would uh, date your reference, but you know what I mean. <laughs> they, there was I'm a not lot. Sure of, what to they, do that they, they really after the after the uh, the Leicester Cup game, Tottenham fans moaned a lot about the team being too young and not experienced enough. And there is it, it is a relatively young team, but they they do play really good football. The the the, the thing that gives you a little bit of hope is that they do come on. To, they will come on to us. They will try and attack us. And that that hopefully will leave us some space to exploit at the back. They're, they're arguably their back four isn't as strong as say the midfield and going forward. But they are they're a team that we you know, let's let's be fair. They're a bigger team than we are with more resources. They're an established Premier League team. They've got a very good manor, manager, a really good squad, and it's going to be a difficult game. And they're the sort of team we should aspire to to emulate mm-hmm. in the future. And of course, the the home record doesn't give you. Much cause for optimism. Full stop. Um, I think. I think the attitude of the fans. We've we've talked quite a lot on the, this pod recently about how it's felt a bit flat at games. I, I I wonder whether the fact that we haven't played well recently and we're playing against a really good team might lift the atmosphere a little bit. It might feel a little bit more like a cup mm. tie. Plus Saturday three o'clock. Plus Saturday three o'clock, which, is, which is, we had done too many exactly. So it might feel a little bit like we're going into the game as the underdog, and that might. That might help us. It'll be interesting to see how how we approach the game. Whether we, you know, I, I would absolutely take a point now. Um, you just after all the talk about transfer rumours disappearing just in the break. Well, just talk of added by all. I've just reread it again, yeah. and it says it says that he's either there's either a chance that he's going to sign a six month contract yeah. or he's uh, he's waiting for a better offer right which i think adebayor is probably surprise about which Adebayo, really, yeah. he's, done, he's actually, done for a lot of but you, clubs you, you get what he says on the team we know what he's like we we know what he's mm. that's what he's going to do but i still think he would yeah you know, i mean there's a story there and if he comes in against Tottenham I mean, and scores it and scores a goal there but i just think he will just generally lift the place for a, for a, a few weeks a few I, months but i under normal circumstances, I wouldn't be that optimistic going into a game against 
Tottenham, and I think that was probably one of our poorer performances away from home this season. It's only one nil, but they were a better side than us. They're an interesting side, though, aren't they? Because they've they had. I mean, this team now that they have um, has Lamella, who uh, during the summer there was talk of him leaving. They were going to sell him for for a reduced fee. Um, Deli Ali, who they signed from from MK Dons. You know, for uh, for you know, you're talking about players that maybe wouldn't have, you know, that they they might not have seen would fit into the side, and yet here they are, and they're they're playing, they're capable of finishing, yeah. you know, in the top four. They might even finish they first, which is someone else in the midfield who came through their academy as well, uh, Mason. Mason. So they've yeah, got, yeah. The, you know, they're they're a, a decent side yeah. with a very good manager. Is the, as you say, it's it's a team that Palace should look to emulate. Um, does it also suggest that maybe you know fans don't always know what they're kind of what they're talking about? <laughs> is that is that a fair in, thing in to suggest? Well, um, in terms of the fact that they that a lot of Spurs fans were saying that Lamella just wasn't good enough last season, and yet now he's he's running that midfield. Where you know if, if Palace had signed, well, eighteen I mean, months ago they were saying Kane wasn't good enough, and Kane was going out on loan yeah. every week to a different so I mean, to a that, different club, and they weren't happy when he was when he Pochettino gave him a run a run of games. Do you just have to put your faith in a manager then? I mean, is that what Palace will have to do now? Oh, yeah, of course. When it's, yeah. when it's a manager of proven quality like Pardew is, of course you do, yeah. I mean, it's Pochettino was still, despite what he'd done at Southampton, was still a bit of an unknown quantity for, for Tottenham fans because Tottenham are the sort of club who demand the biggest managers in the, in the world. But yes, of course you have to put your faith in the manager. And the fact is that we're not... It's, it's not Holloway or Warnock we're putting our faith in. It's, it's, it's Pardew and he's... Yeah, it's, as I say, it's going to be interesting to see what we do, A, on Tottenham and B, for the rest of the season. But the hope is that, I, I think I think it's the, the, the two games after that, the Stoke game in the Cup and then the Bournemouth game in the league is where you start. Because by Bournemouth, we'll know what we've done in terms of, of transfers, we'll know what's happening for the rest of the season. You know, let's, you know, let's not forget Yannick will be coming back this season. It's interesting though as well, isn't it, that, that we've had this kind of poor run of form in, in the league and yet we had that cup game uh, against Southampton yeah. that people have seemingly wiped from all their kind of consciousness. In the, you know, we, yeah. we, and we were playing against, um, I, saw, I saw on, on one of our Facebook pages, I think, that someone said you know, that we were playing Southampton's reserves. Well, actually, if you looked at their no, team, no, they're, no, they're, they're, I think 10 of their players were first-teamers. Uh, we were um, playing against a team that had beaten Arsenal 4-0 just it, a couple of weeks ago. And, and somebody, I can't remember who it was who pointed out, they looked at all the Premier League teams in the FA Cup and Palace and Southampton were, I think, the two that played closer to their the, the first 11s than, than anybody else. So that wasn't Southampton reserves. I mean, that, and that was a good result and it wasn't uh, a fluke result either. Mm. So... But again, Southampton, it comes back to the thing, the Villa game is the only one that's a disaster. Mm. But Southampton are a team that I think we are, that's the sort of level we're at. I mean, they've got a bigger ground than us, arguably more resources, but that, in terms of ability, that's the sort of level we're looking at. And, and given, the, you know, given, given the coverage of the Premier League is you know all pervasive and mm. ubiquitous, it's no surprise that people look at a result in the cup and go, "Well, it's only the third round." Of the we cup. couldn't they, even they, watch they it. Really you yeah, couldn't even watch yeah, it on yeah. TV. You couldn't. You barely saw any highlights of it. It's not. It's just not as relevant as yeah. a Premier League match would be. Well, no, and uh, people will sometimes talk about the cup being devalued, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but there was never really, uh, and there's, there was always a time where the, the third round of the cup had romantic connotations because you get the real tiny teams coming through and all that sort of stuff. But if you ask Palace fans to think back through 
the last 20 years of third round cup ties they won't be able to remember a lot of them even mm, you yeah. pro- find some fans who'd probably be hard pressed to say who played in 1990 in the third round for for, for example so I, 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 Hartlepool I, I remember losing to Hartlepool we, we did lose to Hartlepool one year was that the third round well, let's just say it was. No yeah. one's, no one's going to no, bother, bother looking I think, at it. I do think Pardew will be taking the cup seriously. I think he will too, but no, I, I think I mean, fans like, will probably only start really caring yeah, one yeah, way or the other yeah, about yeah. matches like yeah. really badly once you get to sort of fourth or the fifth round. Mm. I mean, yeah. yeah, you sort of fans who go to every single match every single week, home and away, would have been gutted had we gone out at the third round of the cup. But a lot of your fan base is now not necessarily just those guys, and the rest of the people seem to care. Possibly because of the publicity, possibly because it's worth so much money, possibly because it's it's everywhere. More about the Premier League. Um, what do you what do you guys do you guys do you guys think, think we need to do against Spurs to, to kind of obviously yeah, and score goals? I think it's probably no. I'd, I'd be happy with uh, with a clean sheet and a known goal winning it for us. That would be good. But do you, do you, do you think that there needs to be a key like a, a change in approach, or is it just going to be a case of playing like we did against Man City? And, I don't think there will be a, a change in approach other than the goalkeeper, maybe. Possibly, even then, even then, I don't think he'll he'll end up dropping. But, but the thing is, you take you, you have to be realistic. And at the start of the season, you look at a list of teams that, and you you you, you don't like to say it, but you 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 do. There's a there's a list of teams where you say any point against them is a bonus. And Tottenham are kind of on that list of teams at the, at the moment. So a, a a point would be a, a good result, a good outcome. But it's it's more the it's more the performance. I mean, you don't. You, you accept that every now and again in the Premier League you're going to be beaten by teams that have got better players than you have but as long as you've played well and played to your best of your ability you accept it it's it's, it's, it's it, uh, my worry is that people will be looking for signs of fatigue lack of confidence whatever but this, I don't think this is the important the Bournemouth game is the one we need to have resolved this situation by we need to have sorted out the goalkeeping situation either way we need to have got somebody in we need to. I mean, it, it might be that Blassi surprises us and is, is back for that. I don't know, but who, who do you think um, is the key player for Palace against Spurs? Is that a fair kind of question to ask? Is I there one player that probably can make one a who's big not difference? Playing, probably Blassi, the, what the key player is the one who's not playing. Or Wickham even because he's supposed to be. now... I think we need to month. see something from Wilf in that sort of match to be perfect. Uh, yeah. If we're gonna, because yeah. I mean, it was telling that even it, with the first twenty-five minutes against. City and I don't want to sort of hark back to that because it was in the previous part but even with that first 25 minutes where we played alright the only two genuine chances that were created were both for Damien Delaney yeah. and it's about time that some of those players a bit higher up the pitch started contributing a bit more to creating opportunities than just having to rely upon centre-backs from set pieces yeah. and, and balls from deep wide areas yeah. and in that regard you know Wolf's put in good performances against teams of Tottenham's ilk before and Really, he's he's struggled a bit since Yalek's not been in that team, and I think it's a, a time for him if he if he thinks he wants to be on that plane to France or even the Euro star, perhaps if that's how they're going to travel for mm. the Euros in the summer, then he's going to have to start putting in performances even without Yannick in the team. Mm. So I think if we're going to get anything from that game, I'll be looking for for Wilf to put in a performance. And they're not they're not a physical team, Tottenham. They are maybe in the centre of the midfield, but certainly in terms of fullbacks, they're not a team that. You associate with targeting skillful players, so I think it's the sort of game Wilf can go into because we know that he does tend to sulk a little bit if he gets uh, uh, targeted earlier on. He tends to he tends to withdraw into himself a little bit. So I think this they are the sort of team who will give him 
some time and some space. And I think Andy's absolutely right. It's about he's not a teenage wonder kid anymore. It's about time Wolf kind of stepped up to the plate mm. and took responsibility. And and you know again, it's another perennial subject on this podcast: the difference between uh, Balassi and Wolf. And one of the differences is that Balassi will go and look for the ball. Mm. He will he'll search for the ball. Whereas Wolf. You don't see Wilf doing that. Yeah. Wilf runs a better this season and his, de- his defensive plays better this season, but you don't see him demanding the ball. You don't see him. There's so many times this season when there's been pressure on our back four and you see Wilf dropping a bit, uh, Yannick dropping a bit deeper and just saying, Give it to me, I'll take it, I'll hold it, I'll run with it. Wilf just doesn't do that and he's got to take a bit of responsibility. He needs to, you know, he, he wants to, to go to the Euros. He's, he's on the fringe of the, of the squad. He needs to sort of. Step up and, and make Hodgson make a decision, but at the moment he isn't. For me, he's not doing that. For me, I think um, it, it's one of those games. I think where you might see Connor Wickham actually score, and and that's just because he's. That he's, is a huge prediction. Well, why well, not? A, I mean, because this, this is a guy who he. I mean, I think it was that injury was really unfortunate against Stoke, in that it came at a point where he'd reached, he'd almost reached full match sharpness. Um, and then he ends up getting getting injured. And now I think Palace have been very careful. Yola getting injured celebrating well, the goal. True. Yeah. But like, we've been very careful with him. And I think that after two two weeks and then playing 60 minutes against Man City, he's probably ready now, or he will be ready now, to play a full match. Against Man City, when he came off, it, it did make a big difference. It's mm. one of those pivotal players where, you know, everything you send up to him, you want, you want him to hold on to. Um, well, we saw... We saw the best of him against Newcastle. We saw what he could. We saw what he can do, and he was really unlucky not to score twice in that game. And you might be right. I mean, he 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 might exactly, he might be the answer. He might be the player who can hold it up long enough for the midfield to come and join him. At the moment, it doesn't look like our midfield have got the energy to do that. But it, mm. I mean, Wickham's clearly a good player, but he's not the answer to the goal scoring right. situation. It's going to be an interesting match, isn't it? What are your do you have any predictions? Do we do predictions? Yeah, I, no, I, I, I look like an idiot. <laughs> I look like enough of an idiot when I try to give reasoned opinion, let alone predictions. So, um, but why not? Let's say we, uh, nil nil. Nil nil. I'm going nil nil. I'll go one nil Palace. Sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'd say the same. Yeah. Right. Well, that's. But, uh, but again, the, the scoreline isn't that important to me. It is, it is the performance. You want a reaction. You want a performance. And we're still. Yeah, we're not. We're not. As we have been for the one and a half, we're not a championship team. We're clinging on by the skin of our teeth. We're a decent side. We were just not having a brilliant, a brilliant run. Basically, simple as that. Yeah. Well, that that's a good point to wrap it up on. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening in. Uh, thanks to Andy and uh, Kevin. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, thanks to JD Sorry, for sending. I was, I was the distracted r- both by the radiator and Troy <laughs> Deeney just missing a shot in the last oh. seconds of the. See, look, we're we're five seconds away from being eight from the. I know I was distracted because I I thought it was February. So yeah. yeah, thanks to <laughs> thanks to JD for that one. Um, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll join you. You'll get to join us again uh, after the the uh, Spurs game. Spurs game. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. All right. See you then. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.